0: Everyone, welcome to yet another episode of CONCAST, the consulting podcast of CONSULT, the consulting club of NIBM. Today we have a very special guest with us, Mr. Karan Dhanamse, finance associate at Boston Consulting Group. Sir has also worked with KPNG as senior executive, risk and advisory solutions. Sir is a commerce graduate and has done his MBA from LBSIM, New Delhi. Without any further ado, let's get started with a very fresh topic that we have in our hands, importance of financial due diligence in the process of merger and acquisition. But before we dive into a very insightful discussion, sir, can you please give us a brief about yourself?
1: So, uh, first of all, thank you so much, NIBM and CONCAST for having me over. So uh, I think you have covered everything, uh, pretty much everything. And just a few details that uh, I started my journey with KPMG as a freshie right out of my campus placement. And I was first a part of deal advisory and strategy working under financial due diligence profile. And then later, I, later on, I moved to risk advisory and solutions. And it was a good and a great stint of around about two years. And then I am finally working in my current capacity of finance associate at boston
0: okay that's really inspiring sir now without wasting any more time let's get to our very first question of today's discussion what exactly is due diligence and why is due diligence important
1: Uh, so in layman terms due diligence is just a rain check which we perform to confirm or if i say it in technical terms to have a reasonable assurance that the figures presented to work on are true and fair and can be processed for further analysis so and from the lens of MA, there are two broad categories buy side which is a bigger percentage in the deal space and sell side and within that you can have multiple types of dd it can be financial it can be hr tax it actuarial and commercial to answer as to why it is important this is so because dd allows the parties to have a a better insight into the operations and inner workings for the target and B, uh, it acts as a confirmation to make an affirmed decision. It can be related to contracts, finances, customers, penetration, binds, or maybe the purchase price. So all in all, due diligence is an important and an integral part of m deal. Okay,
0: that pretty much answers our question. So. With this, uh, the next question that comes into our mind is how can one leverage the knowledge of financial due diligence and make a switch from big four to big three?
1: This one is tricky because it depends on person to person. But the key point you need to understand is what is the core idea of consulting? Like consulting happens for many reasons, but predominantly it happens because a vision is being sold or you help clients solve a problem statement or you help them get an edge from competitor. All those fancy stuff like synergies, penetration, market control, cross selling, etc. are the byproducts of the assistance that we give. So the main thing to work on at this level is at which of these platforms can you add value? If you ask my opinion, it would be lateral points like you help them solve a problem statement or you help them get an edge from competitor and this is because in fdd you get an opportunity to work on analysis within the project scope in almost every deal so within a data set in one deal you are able to share sensitivity analysis in a similar situation but a different deal it would be delinquency on third deal it can be NLE, what we call as new loss existing in fourth it can be churn and so on and so forth and like i was a part of a sector specific team so I, I used to cater to clients from insurance, AUM, wealth management. So I used to do sensitivity analysis on different, different variations of these. So once you have some good deals and good experience, you can definitely be a go-to person for in consulting because you know what to extract out of data if something is presented to you. And I think this is one of the finest skills to make a switch from big four to big three.
0: That's pretty much insightful, sir. Now, since we are living in the world of technology and everything is getting automated, so how finance automation and other leading-edge tools can help finance leaders reduce their team's burden when it comes to preparation that pays off one day and beyond?
1: Uh, This is a good question, and it acts both as a boon and bane. And I'll tell you why from the perspective of FDD. So let me walk you through as to how is FDD life worked around in a deal space. So typically in a FDD setup, uh, whenever a deal is signed and sim is shared and data starts to flow in, the first few days are very crucial. The rationale is information is very raw in the form of trial balance and your main work piece is to sort that in the form of data and to prepare financials like it can be ISBS console being the very first few deliverables that you give. It is as simple as giving those TBS a structured representation and a high level data book overview. Now, uh, take a scenario. Uh, it was one of my very first deal that I did. Like uh, there is a holding company with which has a total of 23 to 25 subsidiaries. So if you make a pyramid, uh, the bottom layer would be 23 to 25 subsidiaries. They will be bucketed up to six, seven meta subsidiaries. Again, bucketed up to two, three high level names. And finally, ending up to the holding entity. So that simply means that when data will come up, you have to prepare basic financials, but there would be many, many, like really many cuts. Like there would be close to 36 IS, 36 PS, 36 cash flows. And now I understand that there would be some very shell subsidiaries, wherein the figures might be rounding off to probably less than $10,000 in the trailing 12 month period. But you have to prepare it so that at the console level, value uh, ties back. Now, keeping the same situation in mind, how finance automation works as Boon is, with the help of automations like Power BI, Power Pivot, Altrix, if you're lucky to have the same workflow, is it happens within few minutes, once the data has been sorted according to the parameters. It is like uh, you do four hours of data hard work and you do 15 minutes of advanced uh, finance and automation uh, there will be a tremendous improvement in that so back in my time our firm had proprietary now softwares like FPI, spi to work on so by the first half of the day our 75 to 80% of the data is structured now you can approach and start adding value by working on analysis or researching about target calls or doing some industry oriented knowledge piece etc this is the boon part and the main part is from the business angle, like uh, it is very cruel to say, but at the end of the day you have to accept that India is a good investment decision from a cost center perspective. It might not be that good an investment decision from a profit center perspective and I'll leave that sentence to you because you have the data to validate it, but the common sense says that the work that is highly manual monotonous and for which hard work can be leveraged with the low-cost burden. This is the kind of work you will get from FDD perspective. Now, finance automation will erase out those jobs. This will erase out those basic data knowledge pointers or how you try to understand trial balance or the red flags that you note down before processing them. And that is why it is said that automations are double-edged swords. You win some, also you lose some.
0: Okay. So, sir, having this question answered with a true example of workplace makes it even more meaningful uh, for us to understand. So, with this next uh, question that comes to our mind is how does the organizational culture priorities pave the way for a successful transaction?
1: I think uh, it's, it should come from the leadership as to how the office culture is being set up and how team dynamics were in place before COVID times because uh, during COVID times when work from home model were placed around the globe things have changed a lot like uh, there are too many priorities uh, during the part of post merger integration like everyone of us is working from home so how do you create a high-performing team virtually that is never met before how do you build that level of trust because being the finance folks trust is one of the key parameters that we have within our folks. How do you transition a business and people successfully after MA is done? Once the transaction uh, is finalized, how do you make them productive again? And I think firms that are successful in creating a cushion that are successful in creating a trust and faith, things will start working for them as soon as uh, folks are in office or teams or high-performing teams are given an option to work hybrid, like some days in office, again, some days work from home, meetings in office to erase out distractions and distractions. And this is all like, it would be office culture that would be coming right from the leadership.
0: Okay, that's really great, sir. Uh, So we are living in a world, like fortunately or unfortunately, we have seen a situation in past one, one and a half years of covid which has definitely changed all of us uh, our lives drastically so i think we cannot leave that component untouched so the shift to a more digitally enabled finance automation is providing companies greater flexibility when responding to unforeseen changes like the disruption brought on by the covid 19 pandemic so how does merger activity can we present or can present opportunities to evaluate finance transformation initiatives.
1: Okay, so uh, the first thing is uh, there is no predominant change in the M&A working. But yes, if you ask me the buyer sentiment, it has changed. Buyer approach has changed. Buyer priorities have shifted. Sector rotations have been implemented. And these all factors uh, in totality have led to the change in the m and deal space. And uh, digital advancement can help you track those things, uh, backed by the data, but it won't help you predict the change or uh, if I say, how can that change act as disruption or deals getting penciled down? And one classic example is the uh, traction in the ESG space, what we call as environment, sustainability and government governance space post-COVID. And uh, one thing that is for sure is ESG is here to stay long. Because everyone is having a different approach to cater to. Some companies have their own agenda. Some companies are taking only stakeholder sentiment in it for calculation perspective. And if you talk about the giants like Chevron, Total, Octopus, Breakthrough Energy, they are focusing more on what can be the regulatory interventionism. And these trends have clearly indicated that it would be buyers market going forward. Earlier, it was a mix. But the current pattern shows that it would be a biased trend. And how did it came? It came because sentiments change, approach change, priority change in the COVID times. Again, uh, within a year, year and a half before, uh, things were very different in the ESG space. And right after COVID, things are very different.
0: That's true, sir. Um, So since uh, during our discussion, we have had good hands-on on financial due diligence. So one dilemma that comes into my mind is that strong due diligence help corporate buyers realize greater synergies and paves the way for a smoother transaction process. For private equity investors, it can yield vital industry knowledge and insight into profit enhancing, operating changes, among many other things. So how can consulting firm enhance commercial due diligence in this process?
1: I think the answer to this is uh, consulting firms really understand the market approach well. And on a very early stage, they gauge that change in mentality for the firms. It can be PE firms, it can be NPOs, it can be government entities. And this is because of the uh, strong value addition that they provide, along with the strong alumni connection that they have in the industry. All the big consulting firms are still big in the market because of one thing that what they bring on to the table once the deal is signed or once they're being requested to solve a problem and like there has been tremendous change in the covid period like e-firms are sitting on a pile of cash to invest in so back in late 2019 to i would say uh, late 2020 when covid was around the globe the attention was on portfolio management and rescue operations there were some great startups, some genuine ideas there that were on the verge of bankruptcy due to COVID and shortage of funds. But uh, again, PE firms focus was to rescue them by filling in the deficit because they knew that a setup with a resilient cash flow before COVID will anyhow come back tomorrow, if not today on the very same pace. And how did they deficit? Uh, how did they fund the deficit? They did it by diluting stakes in some non-core arms to suffice the funding. And fast forwarding that scenario to today, the approach has changed and the focus is now on opportunistic acquisitions. And because of this change, the market highlight is many of the corporate sellers are open to negotiate for prices. If the sales process is quick, it is smooth and there is an opportunity with an easy exit. COVID has accelerated that trend and this increases the opportunity for buyers, especially for PE buyers. Now, like a few days back, uh, we heard the news that Ahmedabad IPL team has been taken over by CVC Capitals. Now, CVC Capitals being a PE firm is into Formula One, is into MotoGP, is into basketball, is into rugby, has came into cricket as well. Now, why do you think this has been a traction and why do you think Uh, people are scrutinizing on CVC because on the other hand, all the PE firms are betting big on sports as a fraternity. Uh, Like if I dwell upon a bit on this topic, uh, just see the stakes of Rakesh Junjunwala and the money in Nazara Technologies. Again, a big portion in the sporting arena. And this is all because consulting firms understood this change very early. How did they do it? This is. Something that should be asked to a senior MDP, even I want to ask them, how do you gauge that? But again, this is what the trend has been and this is what experience tells that, okay, uh, there has been a rotation in the sector and this is why commercial due diligence and consulting go hand in hand to a great extent
0: that's really great sir so the way you mentioned the zara technologies just took my ears off to the discussion and uh, it was definitely a very insightful session and sir, so since you have been working in this industry since past three years and also you have made to switch to another consulting firm in this virtual mode so what is a small piece of advice that you would like to give us students who are doing their mba in virtual mode and want to be at your place
1: uh, so, the first thing is uh, you need to be selective as to where you want to be. like uh, back when I was a part of my previous firm as part of Big Four, I always felt that I should be working on big three. Then again, uh, there were some columns, there were some folks I reached out through LinkedIn there were some cold callings, cold mails. I gave it to them to understand as to what is the work pattern. And what is the prerequisite that is required to work in big three firms? And once I got some really good and insightful answers, I started developing skills. And it's not that uh, you should be developing on skills just to reach up to that point. Once you reach that point to sustain that level of growth, to sustain that bar that uh, all the big three firms have, you still need to work on that. So uh, working on skills should be a long-term goal. But again, that long-term goal should be sufficed through short-term goals of yours. Like you should be knowing as to where do you want to go. Like uh, as part of FDD, we work on multiple deals. Like uh, the deal tenure is very short. So around the year, you get to work on a couple of deals. Now, scrutinizing that and to figure out what is your niche, wherein you are good at, wherein you need less of assistance, wherein you need less of guidance. And you can guide people or you can be mentoring your juniors. That is the place that you want to build that trust on. That is the place you want to play your gamble. And there are multiple opportunities in Big 3 as well for your niche-specific topic. And you just need to hit and you just need to wait for that ball to go across the boundary. Because once that ball crosses the boundary, again, the umpire will give you the signal that, okay, this is either a boundary or an out. So need to play on that front
0: um, that was really fruitful sir and i'm sure that it is going to be even more fruitful for our uh, for our audience who are going to listen it thereon um so anything else from others any questions i would just like to say that it was a
1: very wonderful session and i'm very much glad to have very good insights on the questions which you addressed and if things
0: go well, then we will surely have one more session like this. I would, I'm very much delighted to have a session like that.
1: Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for having if, me over.
0: And if things go even more well, then we will be very happy hosting you at our campus. So uh, like apart from this virtual mode.
1: Definitely looking forward. Uh, even I am much looking forward to you stepping into the corporates because uh, I, I did some homework on my end as well. And I went through all the 12-13 podcasts in a very quick space, 1.5-2x speed, just to see what uh, the speakers have addressed and what I should not be addressing so that there is no redundancy. And I found that you have such a great exposure in terms of the podcast that you are having. So again, looking forward to see you all in the corporate front someday.
0: Thank you so much sir, Uh, so thank you so much for taking out time from your busy schedule and giving us insights about this industry and it is definitely very fruitful for us and from today it has given us a new perspective that will help us to focus on our skills having particular skill set rather than just focusing on reaching corporates we will also focus on sustaining those levels thank you so much sir for this
1: thank you thank you for having me over.